1 Samuel uh, chapter 22, where we're talking about uh, David and, and these, these people that gather around him. And we're in the second act of David's life. We're continuing with, with seeing these people who are experiencing transformation as the new people of God. And we're going to talk about deeds today because we get to this point. Just to recap a little bit so that we're all on the same page. Um, okay. There we go. Uh, so recap so we're all on the same page. Um, this is 1 Samuel 22, beginning in the second act of David's life. We see that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. He is, rather than being the, the boy wonder in Saul's kingdom, now he's an outlaw, he's on the run, he's been rejected. So he escapes to the cave of Adullam. Saul is trying to kill him. When his brothers in his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became the commander. About 400 were with him. And then, so what we've talked about for the last three, three weeks, yes, this is the fourth week. What we've talked about for the last little while is just how, by the time we get to 2 Samuel 23, by the time we get to the third act of David's life, David's surrounded by mighty men. David's surrounded by people who accomplish amazing deeds, who, who feeds the strength and self-sacrifice, uh, protect the kingdom, that build the world around them, that do these amazing feats. They protect and serve the entire kingdom. So the question becomes where did these people come from? And if you follow the path scripturally, it seems that these, these same mighty men started out here as those who were in distress and in debt and discontented, that they were these misfits, these losers for whom the kingdom did not work. And then over the course of time, they become transformed to become mighty people who build and protect the kingdom that's around them. So the question that we're asking that is so important to us is how did that happen? Because I want that to happen to me, I want that to happen to you, I want that to happen in all of the people that I meet that are scared and angry and in debt. I want that to happen in them, that we become people who don't just take and destroy, but people who build and protect. So what did we find there? And we've been talking about how we believe that they found a leader to follow. They found a family to belong to. They found deeds to do. And this is what we're going to be talking about today, that these are the tools, it seems, that the Lord uses for our transformation, and we're going to be focusing on the third one today, deeds to do. What are the, what are the deeds of, of the Lord, and, and, and how do they work? And, and it's an interesting thing, because it's not like, sometimes when you think of deeds, it's like, here's a program, and go follow the program, and then everything will turn out way, and then, well, change your behavior, and then you will change your mindset. I'm not trying to get into some self-help self thing that way. But I just know what the text says. And the text tells this story next. So in 1 Samuel 23, David's still in the right, surrounded by these 400 uh, angry and discontented, and like scared and angry and dead misfits. And, and they told David, behold, David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kyla and are robbing the threshing floors. Okay, so I'm not a farm person. I don't understand these things. But from what I understand, uh, the threshing floors were like where you brought the wheat after harvest and, and you would uh, separate the wheat from the chaff. And they were generally built on hills and there were kind of these floors. And, and mostly the women and children, from what I would understand, would, would throw the wheat up in the air and the wind blows away the bad stuff and they get to keep the good stuff. And that's their food for the coming season. And the Philistines are going, and they're attacking these people, and they are taking their food for the coming year. And so this isn't merely about, like, oh, we're going to take your economic stuff. This is about, we're going to starve you out. 
So David hears that this is happening. And David inquires of the Lord, as any good leader ought. He, he inquires of the Lord and says, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Pilate. And David's like, Okay, this is what I do. I've done this before. And then he goes to his men. And what David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kila against the armies of the Philistines? This is interesting. It reminds us again, these are not crack warriors that are like, yeah, this is what we do, mount up. This, these are guys who as soon as they hear this idea, they've heard the problem. They understand that the Philistines are, are attacking these people and stealing their food. They understand the problem, but their response is this. We're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kila against the armies of the Philistines? We see this not only in the text, we understand and recognize this in ourselves and the people who are around, but the first response of those who are in debt and in distress and discontented is not, yes, let's go help. The first response is often, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. I have, there's no way that I can possibly help. And we recognize, I recognize this myself, and I've seen it in people around me, that this mindset has struck them where the world is happening to them. Everything around is happening to me. I am, I am, I am a, a, adrift on this sea, and there is nothing I can do to intervene in the, in, the, in the events of the world. And it becomes a mindset of defeat and a mindset of fear. Because what I find so fascinating as I read this is they don't say, we don't care about the people of Kyle. We don't. It's not that they don't care. It's not that they don't see the problem. It's not that they don't know. It's that they see the problem and there's nothing, they believe that there's nothing that they can do, with the, do about it. Even though they might love those who are suffering at Kyla, their fear overcomes them. And their fear overwhelms them, and fear becomes the dominant force in their life. We're already afraid here, how much more so if we go there? And it's a very easy trap to fall into, to have fear be the dominant force in your life. And I think that this is incredibly important for us in the times in which we live. We are constantly affected, many of us, with uh, a thing that is broadcasting messages to us all the time. And, and I don't know about you, but I've been really disconcerted lately about how many of these messages, because I follow a bunch of news organizations of all sides, and I have friends and family who follow news organizations of all sides, the, the sheer volume of messages that their one, their one intention seems to be, be afraid. Be afraid. The world is happening to you. There's nothing you can do. There are forces against you that are beyond your control. Be afraid. Hunker down with your friends and family. Buy more things. That's the only thing that's going to keep you safe. And we need to push back against that. We don't want to fall into the trap of fear. But David inquires of the Lord again. He's like, okay, well, they're not going to come with me. He goes and inquires of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, God, Arise, go down and go to Kyla, for I will give the Philistines in your hand. And David and his men went to Kyla. Now, the, unfortunately, the text doesn't tell us how this happened. But I believe firmly, this is Dan speaking, not the Lord, but I believe firmly that David went and inquired of the Lord again, and his response to his, to his people that were afraid was like, Look, I'm going. So if you want to stay here without me, fine but I'm going, 
Philistines on alone if I have to. And as he stepped up and walked, I believe firmly that one by one by one by one, the 400 joined up with him. And they went to Kila, and they fought the Philistines, and they brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Kila. Like a good leader, David's trust is in the Lord, and his trust of the Lord is greater than both the fear of the enemy and the disapproval of his own people. But I think that this is so important as we watch this, to watch what David does. He hears the problem of the people that are following them. He doesn't just say, like, well, I don't care that you're afraid, man up. He says, okay, I hear that. I hear that you're afraid here. I hear that, 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 that you've got a history that leads you to believe that, that nothing good is going to happen. And in the midst of that, he doesn't just shove them and push them and guide them along and then try and drag them along. He goes to the Lord again and says, like, look, is this what you want me to do? And God calls him and he trusts, he hears their issue and he lives with it, but he trusts the Lord and the Lord gives them a victory. And these misfits, I believe in the process of this, and we see this happen. They, they find that in the process of, of this great victory, that the Lord has placed within them strength and the Lord has placed within them courage. And the Lord has placed within them all of the things that they need to do what God has called them to do. Somehow in the process of this, they learn that they begin to learn that the Lord is good, that the Lord is with them. And when they step out in courage, he is on their side. And they shouldn't be surprised that when they are doing the things of the Lord, that the Lord accomplishes a great work in them. And we shouldn't be surprised either. We shouldn't be surprised because we've heard these stories as well. We hear the stories of the plagues of Egypt, where God afflicts the Egyptians with all of these plagues, and the Israelites watch them. And, and, and as much as they fail, those, those events of the Lord were things that emboldened them to reach out and, 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 and walk away, as God had told them to do, to walk away from everything that they knew. We see this in the life of Jesus as well, and in the pattern of Jesus. That is, after Jesus gathers his disciples, and this is the account from Luke 10, that has 70 of them, but, but Jesus gathers all his disciples, and, and, and he teaches them. But after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and into every place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep amidst the wolves. Jesus doesn't gather disciples and then just hunker down and say, you're all safe with me here. It's going to be all right. Let's just hide here. He says, okay, now that I've taught you, go. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, it's scary. But I am with you. And he tells them, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house, and if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. And later in the same... And later in the same chapter, we see the response of this. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This was integral to his building them up. He said, yeah, yeah, 
I've built you up to do this. And they're amazed at the power that has happened, the, 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 the things that they were able to do. But Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and all over the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says, yeah, I built you to do these things. You're doing them. Go nuts. Keep doing what I have trained and taught you to do. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Bring hope and healing to a world that is incredibly broken. And part of their training was to learn the activities and the deeds of the, their, their leader. And when they accomplished them, they were, there was excitement and joy. There was excitement and joy as they learned and believed, even in the midst of being sent out as sheep amidst the wolves, that he who was in them was greater who was, than who was in the world. And this is incredibly important for us as well. That our lives as Christians and, our, and, and what we do as a church is not merely about, about growing our faith and learning and loving each other, although those things are incredibly important, and, and, and I don't want to in any way diminish those. But, what's mo but what this is all for is that we put our faith and our love and our learning to the test and we consummate that by going out into the world in which he has called us and doing the work of Jesus. Participating with Jesus in the work that he is doing in the world. And I am concerned, not just for us, but for the evangelical church in North America and lots of churches in North America, that too much of our religious activity is rehearsing for a play that we never put on. Too much of our religious activity is, is like a sports team drilling and practicing and, and having practice after practice after practice and never actually stepping foot onto the field for a game. So much of our religious activity is, is, having, is, is like a couple in a very long engagement that plans and plans and plans and plans for a wedding that, that never happens and never turns into a marriage. Our duty as followers of Jesus is to take what he is doing in our lives and put it to work changing and blessing the world around us. That is what we have been called to do. James as always is very blunt as he says this. James in, in chapter 2 in, in the chapter 2 of the book of James says, what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and fed, without giving them the things needed by the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have work, is dead. He continues. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And, and this is... This is exemplified by the person who writes a blog complaining about someone else's theological disposition as they go out to, to minister and do the work of the Lord and say, well, but they don't, they're, they're, they're feeding the sick, but their, their theology is slightly off. Or many people are responding to the word of the Lord, but, 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 but they don't have their, their, their five points down in a row. It's ridiculous. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the, on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's all well and good for, for Abraham to say, I believe in the Lord, I believe in this, I believe in Yahweh, I believe in God, one God, the creator of heaven and earth, I'm starting monotheism. But when God says to him, pick up your, uh, pick up, you and your family, go from the land I will show you, go, go, leave your father's household and go into the land I will show you, if he doesn't do that, it doesn't matter. He has to put his own skin in the game and say, I believe this, therefore I'm going to live it. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also, also faith without works is dead. This is incredibly important for us to get straight. It's not just about what happens in this room. What happens in this room is incredibly important. What happens in Bible studies on Monday and Thursday night is incredibly important. What happens in you as you read your Bible on your own and participate in the works of the Lord is incredibly important. But that, if that is not translated into you and I living differently in our workplaces, in our families, and in all of the places where we've been called to go, if we're not bravely bringing hope and life and truth there, if we're not interested in the injustice and the oppression of this world, if we're not actively putting ourselves on the line, then none of this matters. It's just intellectual game playing. We might as well be playing trivial pursuit with the things of the Lord if we're not putting our feet and our backs and our hearts and our minds and our treasures where it counts, on the floor, trying to make a difference in the world around us. Most of you, most of the time, are really good at that, but we need to be reminded of it again. We always need to be reminded of it again. That we need to make sure that we are committed to loving our neighbors as ourselves. Not just those who look like us and those that are easy to love and those who are comfortable to be around, but those who are different than us in every single way. Those that we have to work really, really hard to love. And trust me, I know I have to work really, really hard to love most people. Um, not because of you, but because of me, but it's that that we've been called to. And it's that that matters. Because this is where the balance happens. We see that in the beginning, these people, the, 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 the 400 in debt and discontented and, and, uh, and in distress didn't want to help, not because they didn't know and not because they didn't care, but because they were afraid. And this is where this begins to take place and make a difference in our lives. Because John says this in 1 John, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This love that we have, that God has poured into us, needs to overwhelm our fear. So that when we hear the call to go and save the Philistines and Kyle, when we hear the call to go and knit with a bunch of scary junior high children in the basement of our church on a Tuesday evening, when we hear the call within us that, 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 uh, that those who do not share our political beliefs feel that the world is against them, that we ought to go 
understand with them, when we hear that there is economic oppression in the world, that, that we're, and, and, and there is unequal access to our justice systems, that we need to speak for those who do not have voices. We need to do that because no matter what happens to us, the God that loves us is not going to stop loving us because we, are, because we have failed doing his work. He who is in us is greater than is in the world. And even if all 400 men had gone to Kyla and gotten slaughtered by the Philistines, the love of God would have rested on them just as well. And that would have been a more worthwhile thing than staying and remaining safe in fear. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And this is incredibly important for us as a strategy for the church. So many church strategists will want to charge us $1,200 to spend a day with us to, to, to tell us how to grow our church properly. And yet I open the scriptures and I see this. But there were 400 men in this story with David. 400. The number is quite clear. And yet... 400 people ride into Kyla. And then afterwards, as they leave, then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kyla, and they went wherever they would go. Somewhere along the line, 200 other people looked at them and said, I want to be in on that. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of shrinking back. I'm tired of waiting for the world to happen to me. Those people have something, and I want to be a part of it. I want their God to be my God. I want their people to be my people. And I want the world to change because of that. That is our strategy for growth. We don't have anything else because that's the only thing that God gave us. So let's be brave. Let's be bold. Let's eliminate the fear from our love and be so overcome by the love that God has for us that we can't help but step out into this world that tells us to shrink back and be afraid and say, no, we believe in love, we believe in grace, we believe in peace, and we are going to bring that, even if the world tells us that it's a fail for Let's pray together. God. We come to you as people who are afraid. We are afraid of, of, of where where the mortgage payment is going to come from. We are afraid that people are going to dismiss us and laugh at us. We are afraid that people are going to look down on us. We are afraid that the future that this world holds does not have room for us and our faith and the, and the traditions that we want to teach. But in the midst of that, you have called us to not shrink back with bitterness, to not shrink back with fear, to not shrink back and hide, to not attack but you have told us to love, to serve, to bless, to forgive, to live graciously. So as we give ourselves to you wholeheartedly, remind us again how good you are. Help us to be transformed by deeds that make a difference in this world. So that we become and live and act as the, as the people that you have called us to be. And that our worship isn't just in song as it ought to be. That our worship is not just in words as it ought to be. But that our worship is also in, in deeds and making a difference in this world where you